Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Sergio Barrer. Sergio was born in Mexico City and studied piano both in Mexico and the United States. He made his pianistic debut in Mexico in 1985 and appeared on a TV show called Estudio 54 several times. In the 90s, he started to compose, being taught the basics by his mentor Mario Fenninger. In 2005, he recorded his CD, Almost Songs, which was called Sensational Listening by the Jamestown Post-Journal. In 2017, Moses, an oratorio, was premiered by the San Fernando Valley Master Chorale in Los Angeles, which named him Composer in Residence, a position he still holds. And he was recently named 2019 McKnight Visiting Composer by the American Composer Forum. Sergio Barrer, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Steve. Well, you know, you and I actually met back in June when you interviewed me for your podcast, Let's Talk About Music. So I was wondering if you could start today telling people about your podcast and why they should go listen. Well, uh, my podcast uh, has been on for one season. I'm going to start my second season soon. And uh, I think what I try to do is to have a conversation with other musicians so that uh, first for my own enlightenment, I call it my my uh, weekly or bi-weekly piano le- music lesson, <laughs> and to and also <laughs> I do I learned so much last year just from talking to all kinds of composers, and uh, and also you know it's it's interesting because when you have someone that is not a musician interviewing you, well they go for the normal things that an interviewer does, but I have my own questions about music, my own you know, running problems or running questions that I, that I keep going over and try to find solutions to them. And, and so when I see someone's music, I, I get questions and I get ideas and, and then we talk about that. So that's something that I think you would not get in a normal interview, mm-hmm. you know? It's, it's a musical, I, I want to do it a musical and it might get a little technical sometimes for someone that is not a musician, but I'm trying to address serious music fans and musicians, you know? Sure. That's, so that's who I, I want to reach. Yeah. So musicians Directors. talking to musicians. Exactly. And uh, I try not to make it too technical or get too uh, wonky about it or, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's uh, to me, music fascinates me and I keep learning and learning and I just, and I just try to do something interesting in that in that sense. Awesome. Well, let's go back to when you started music. So let's go back to growing up in Mexico. Uh, how early did you begin playing piano? Uh, when I was six, but did- I was not six years old. You know, someone, a reporter once changed that to four years old because <laughs> I guess six years old wasn't young enough for her, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I didn't. I I said six years old, and in the in the article it came out four years. Old. And um, yeah, my mom played 
all her family played, you know, she, she could play, you know, she was a medium, medium player. She could play, you know, the pathetic sonata of Beethoven and Chopin waltzes and some easy Brahms, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, and you know, Claire de Lune and so close to this repertoire when I was very young, but I did not practice a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> it was not my favorite thing to do. So when do you when do you think that love of piano uh, came about? How old when were I you? met my mentor? What in my teens? Oh, in your teens? When I met, yeah, when I met my mentor, Mario Feninger, I heard this guy play, and I said, "Oh my god, oh my god, is that how this can sound?" I mean, it was totally a revelation for me. I mean, but this guy was really exceptional. I've heard, I have gone to concerts of uh, of. Uh, great artists in, in Mexico. I heard Claudio Rao, I heard other people, but um, suddenly I was listening to this guy close close to me and and the music was just music, you know? The, the problem with classical music sometimes is that there is so many notes that if you are not a good player, it all gets swamped in the sea of notes. Mm-hmm. You know? So you have to know music, you have to know how to bring out things at the piano in order to really communicate. And Mario, sure. you, you know, the most complex pieces sounded like the most simple pieces. And then you started seeing the music behind all the notes and you say, oh, so that's how it's supposed to sound. So that's what this is supposed to be. You know, so how did you get, really struck me. how did you get connected with him? I, I went to a recital in Mexico and uh, it was him and, and and I heard him and I said, wow. And then I came here and I, and I heard him here. And then I, he, I asked him if he would teach me. And he said, yeah, I would teach you. The problem was he wasn't teaching in a university. And I had, he had pupils that were being taught in, in college. Mm-hmm. Piano, and the, the college assigned them piano teachers. And they had to deal with the piano teaching of the teacher and the piano teaching of Mario. And uh, Mario told me, just study with me. And he told me, go and take your, your theory at, at LACC, Los Angeles City College. Go there, do your harmony, do your counterpoint, do your ear training, you know, and, and just get here to the piano, for the piano. And that's how I did it. That's you know? awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, though, out, outside of piano, what sort of music uh-huh. were you listening to when you were growing up? Were there any other artists that were inspiring you? Uh, I. It's funny, I wanted to like classical music. <laughs> I you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would sit down and, and listen to records that my parents have. And I would love, you know, sitting and conducting them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a kid, but somehow I couldn't connect with it. There was something. And I, I listened to, when I was growing up, there was, a, you know, rock. And I listened to that. And, and then I got into progressive rock, rock, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and uh, groups that had more complex type of rock and rock, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, and, and then I met Mario. And then that opened the door for classical music for me. But in Mexico, you know, it's very, it looks up to the United States. 
So it has its own culture. And, but if you're living a certain set of people, you try to imitate what the United States is doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you were listening, we were listening, I was listening to music in English and I didn't learn English till later. So I, it was just a bunch of sounds you know, <laughs> to me, but the music was nice, you know, with, a, with, with some kind of a lyric that I couldn't understand. And I'll tell you something. It's, it's a lot more interesting sometimes when you can put the lyrics there than what the lyrics actually say. <laughs> you know, after I learned English and I found out what these lyrics were doing, I said, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I, had some, I think I, had I like my version better. So much better than this. <laughs> I thought they were about something. You know, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They were not very meaningful lyrics. The Beatles and, and the, day, the Beatles got more meaningful later, but at the beginning they were not. And many, much of the, of the, you know, music of the time was not. The, the lyrics were not very meaningful. Mm-hmm. But the, the rock, the you know, music was, was uh, I could relate to the music. All right. Well, I want to talk to you, talk about your career as a pianist for a minute. Um, so I read that one of your albums of piano music is called Piano Music for One Hand. So how did that right. how did that album come about? Uh, 1988, I was practicing and I injured my left hand. I I was playing some uh, list and I was doing some lifts and I landed and something gave in my in some tendons here. Hmm. And my Mario did not like doctors too much. He had seen. Uh, pianist hands butchered by doctors and said, we'll, we'll. and so I tried different ways to get my my hand back. But meanwhile, I said, okay, I'm going to play with one hand. And I did. I, I played the repertoire for one hand with the right hand because normally, you know, it's written for the left hand. Right. But when you have a right hand only, well, so it's all upside down kind of, you know. <laughs> You know, because the thumb is at the at the bottom instead of up at the top, and and so, but still, the right hand is more agile normally than the left hand, so that makes it up, makes up for it. So, and and then finally, I got into um, Mario sent me to study with a, a teacher in the East Coast called uh, 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 what Taubman. Dorothy Taubman, I don't know if you ever heard of her, but Mm-mm. she used to teach in the East Coast and she had pupils in the West Coast and uh, she had a way of of handling injuries in the hand and she did handle it, but I had to relearn how to play the piano uh-huh. from scratch. And that took years, you know, with different motions and you kick off all the repertoire that you have and then you take on new repertoire because the bad habits you had, she said, they're gonna kill you. You keep playing those pieces. So just discard everything you learned till now, and we'll start over. <laughs> <laughs> nice, right? <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like four years of fun. <laughs> so, but in the 1990s, uh, in so sort of to add to your piano playing, you also began to compose. Um, so I wanted to right. what what took you in that direction of composition. Uh, it opened up. I I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, I had tried before. I had taken 
composition lessons and I knew the basics, but the music was not worth anything. And when mm-hmm. you're playing the repertoire, you know when the music is not worth too much. You say, okay, it's okay, you know, but no. It's, but I, it's, a, it's a long story. Finally, it did open up. And, and it happens. Uh, Rimsky-Korsakov started composing when he was 35. It's like, it happens when it happens. And, and uh, suddenly I, I was able to do it. And I said, oh, this is interesting. And then I got really interested in composing because when it starts coming out and you know it's coming out, it, it becomes a lot more interesting than trying to learn a piece and repeating, you know. The piano yeah. is a very demanding instrument you cannot you have to practice it every day you have to practice quite a bit of time and I said you know what I want to explore this and I did and uh was something that happened later in life for me sure so I I assume that you started writing piano works first right yes yes definitely yeah I thought you know maybe I can differentiate myself from others by uh, by playing my own pieces, which turned out to be not very in demand, a pianist playing his own pieces. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, you one tries from different avenues, and I started late, and then the the injury of the hand made me go later, and so it all, you know, I said, okay, well, maybe this will work. And I started composing for the piano. I've got got sort of an interesting question for you here. Um, So you're an an immigrant from Mexico to the United States. Right. Uh, How do you feel that your status as an immigrant shaped your career as a musician? Uh, No, no, no influence. No, nothing. Um, It's, how could I explain my concern was really with music. My main concern for the last 30, 40 years have been, how do we make classical music uh, not disappear? Uh-huh. You know, when I, when I got into LA in the, in the 80s to study with Mario, um, there were two places. There was a basso from Dorothy Chandler Pavilion that had a series of uh, piano music, like a full eight recitals a year in the Ambassador and 10 recitals in Dorothy Chandler. And people, you, you would have 20, 20 great pianists come to LA every year. Mm-hmm. That's gone. You know, uh, you get a piano recital here and there. Yeah. So, so I could see that it was happening. I could see that the new music that was being produced was not attracting the public. It was being kind of uh, held. It was it was created in academia for and and the thing with that music is you had to get a post somewhere uh, teaching in order to continue writing it, and so you had to please the other teachers, and so it became kind of a instead of trying to to put something that the audience in general the public could relate to it kind of interiorized into itself the world. And, and, uh-huh. and I don't know, it hasn't, I don't think it has found, the answer has not been found yet, I don't think. 
And that has been my concern, not that I'm a Mexican or that I'm... Lately, it has been more of an influence. Mm -hmm. Lately, as, as I realized the plight, I didn't have the plight of, of an immigrant. You know, I, I came from a family that was reasonably well off. We were not rich, but, you know, middle class, upper middle class in Mexico. I, I'm not going to say I wasn't. So I came here and I had some resources. I talked with an attorney, told me, you know, go and, uh, you know, get a social security number, start working, start paying taxes. Work is not against the law. If you work, they cannot put you in jail for working. They can throw you out of the country for working, but you're not <laughs> going to go to jail for working. And, um, and he said, just do it. And, and I did that. And in 18, 1988, there was the Reagan amnesty and I took it and I became a citizen. But I, I was here for, for seven years just uh, working and, and doing things and, and uh, studying. That's great. And, and my concern about, I mean, I was just surviving, you know, making it happen. Mm -hmm. well, I've got one more question for you before we take a quick break. Sure. Um, what has been the hardest thing for you as a musician during this pandemic? And what lesson do you think you've learned from it? I saw my whole, uh, <laughs> the possibilities of, uh, of income and of just crumbled in front of me. When I realized that choral music, which was, I was, the, the field I was, you know, I'm doing totally collapsed like that. I said, what am I going to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm. I have, I'm, you know, not super well established. I didn't have a line of people waiting to, to, you know, for me to write music for them or demanding music. So I, you know, I, I did have some commissions that were going to be performed. I, go, I was going to have three premieres in May and then in March, oops. So there was panic. I, I really said, we're going to have to sell the house. We're gonna have to sell the house so that you know I, I can do this. We can wait it out and try to um, and try to get my career back on track afterwards. But we're gonna have need money for that, and and um, so let's sell the house. And that was really bizarre. We couldn't sell the house, but there was help. Unexpected. I didn't expect the government to help anything. <laughs> you know, I really didn't. I said, you know, I'm on my own in here. And um, and then suddenly there was this little stimulus check. And then there was this PPP checks. And there was this other kind of grants. And suddenly, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I said, well, if you can finance the house, um, I can get some money out of the house. And then between that and the help, we did, and so and so, we keep the house. We are fortunately able to keep the house, and uh, and things are going all right. But that was the main thing: the panic, and it was, and that panic lasted a few months. Yeah, and I was composing at the beginning. I said, "Well, I'll I'll keep going." Meanwhile, I, I have this work that I finished, and I did compose a couple of months. But then it really got to me, 
you know, we have to do something. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, things, my house was in the market for a year. It was on escrow for six months. It was, you know, it was the most bizarre thing that <laughs> could happen because the guy that wanted to buy it didn't have the money and didn't have the credit. And my wife didn't want to sell the house and I really didn't want to sell the house and things got postponed and postponed it until finally, you know, it didn't happen. And, uh, and I was very happy and, and things fortunately worked out and I'm, I'm, uh, I was able to get my piece that was going to premiere about immigrants. Uh, that was going to premiere, I was able to get it done virtually. And um, and then I was able to, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm finishing a big piece this month for next May and schools are coming back. So things are getting back to normal, you know. All right. Well, so speaking survived, of which. But there was a, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of which, Sorry. we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and listen to some of Sergio's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Sergio Barrer. So let's begin today with your piece, Por Que Me Vine? Why Did I Come Here? So this piece for chorus and, and piano is the first movement of your immigrant suite, which you spoke of just before the break. Uh, you said that right. the text for this project developed out of 25 interviews you conducted with immigrants to the United States from Mexico. I'd love to hear about your experience with these individuals and writing this piece. It was fabulous. I, I, uh, this, this was the, the residency I got was from uh, the McKnight Foundation, which the purpose is to improve the social fabric of the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. And I got the residency because I proposed, okay, let me introduce the cities to these stories of these immigrants, you know, because they live there. Why don't we do And they liked it. They liked the idea and they, they gave me the residency. So I went there and I, and I talked with all kinds of people, with people that were in the parking lot waiting to be picked up to do construction jobs. I went to, uh, uh, you know, a senior facility for, for uh, people from Mexico. I went to, I went to, I went to stores and talked to the guy that was tending the store. I I just walked and and in in. Uh, in November in, in Minneapolis, which is starting to get a little bit cold. <laughs> so sometimes it was a little bit harsh. <laughs> but then I got all the interviews. I got home. Then I, I typed them. And then I, I kind of put them together in, in the experience. Like, why did I come here? How did they get in? What work they did? And then did, did they like staying here or not? Do you want, do they want to get back or do they want to stay? So to get a, a full picture of the immigrant experience. And uh, the fact that I, I'm from Mexico and I speak with a Mexican accent opens the door. I'm sure. You know, because, you know, I come and I talk with them in Spanish from Mexico and they know that I'm not American or trying to do anything. And I told them, you know, you don't have to give me your real name if you don't want. And for sure, you don't have to give me your last name. Just give me your first, a first name you'll talk and I'll record it and... And that's it. And, and I got 25 people to do that with me. So what sort of things did you learn from them that you weren't expecting? Well, uh, 
one of the things, the last section, uh, should I stay or should I go? I wasn't going to do that because I thought, well, everybody wants to stay, right? I mean, I wanted to stay. Everyone, And then I'm interviewing this person and, and I just asked her, so what do you miss from Mexico? And her eyes just immediately uh, in water red, went red. She said, everything. I miss everything. I said, and she's a, a well-to-do person. She has her own business and stuff. She's doing well here, but she says, I miss the culture. I miss, I miss the food. I miss the people. I miss my family. And I said, wow. Okay, so this is something worth exploring. This, this aspect of the experience, you know. So you have been here 20 years. How do you feel about it? Yeah. Do you like the idea? Don't you like? And, and that was probably the biggest surprise was to find people that really wanted to get out of here. Interesting. You know? All right. Well, we're going to take well, a moment it here. The majority. Oh. It wasn't the majority. It was about two to one that wanted to stay, but to what to that one stay to one to one to leave. But it was still a third of the people. Hmm. That is surprising. All yeah. right. Well, we're going to listen here to Porque Me Vine, uh, performed by the San Fernando Valley Master Chorale with Charlie Kim Conductor.
Next, let's talk about enthusiasm for solo piano. So in the recording we're about to listen to, you prefaced the piece with a short poem. Could you right. tell us about this poem and the piece and how they connect to describe the idea of enthusiasm? Yeah, I, you know, I realized when I was playing recitals that um, when you talked a little bit about the piece, uh, sometimes that would engage more people than if you just sat down and played, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I said, okay, so let's also give me a chance to express this, uh, this type of mood with a small poem and then give them the music that is trying to say it. A friend of mine told, uh, a cousin of mine called, told me after a performance, he says, you know, you could have skipped the poem that the music told us the, the story, but it's not the same for everybody. And, and sometimes when you're going to, music that is more, that is less understandable, that is less accessible. There was a piece there, it's called Anger, that was bitonal. The left hand was in one key, the right hand was in another key, and it was just dissonant. So, you know, I said, a, a person that is familiar with contemporary music will probably like it, but if you go and if you're listening and Brahms is going to be weird. So I did a little poem for every piece. Enthusiasm is the longest one. And, um, and that was my idea to, to, to get my, my public more engaged. All right. Well, let's listen to the poem and the piece Enthusiasm performed here by Sergio Barrer. Give way, he exclaimed, for here I come, unstoppable, ahead, to build a road that'll take me there, to where I go, to build on earthly things. And as they're made, in place they'll stay, for all to see that I exist, that I create, that I am me forevermore, in this body or the next.
All right, let's turn next to the spirit from your piano concerto number two. So I read that you said this piece attempts to describe the human spirit by contrasting two themes, the one playful, the other grandiose. So how do you go about capturing those ideas in this piece? It's just, uh, it's the third movement, and yet it's the one that follows more closely like a sonata format. Uh -huh. so I have one theme that I develop a little bit that is playful, and then the second theme is grandiose. It starts, and then there is a little bit of development, and then it ends. But it was just basically one theme. And, and the playful theme is in the piano, and it has a counter melody in the orchestra. So mm -hmm. you, you hear these long notes in the orchestra, and you hear this playful thing going with the piano. And then, it, then the grandiose theme, I, I don't know if there is a more grandiose piece than the Toccata and Fugue of Bach. As, as played in Fantasia, right? That was one of my favorite themes yeah. in, uh, in, in, when I was growing up. Fantasia was a great link for me to classical music. It was, I mean, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice and the, the Night on Bald Mountain and, and, uh, and, uh, and the Toccata and Fugue. I mean, the, 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 the notes just flying, right? Right. The more abstract. So I said, so it, it starts with ta -da -dum, and that's the connection. That's all the connection. <laughs> <laughs> the first three notes of the, of the theme. But uh, I was inspired by, by that, that type of uh, music. You know, I've never written a piano concerto myself. So when you were writing, were you writing the piano and the orchestra sort of simultaneously? Or were you thinking out the piano part first and then orchestrating around it? How did you approach that? Uh, First, I did it for two pianos. The, the okay. first piano, the piano, and the second piano, the orchestra. And then once, the, once I had the orchestra, you know, the piano part and the orchestra finished, then I went into the orchestra. Gotcha. Do you still have that uh, forehand piano version around somewhere? Yeah, yeah, I do have it. But it was never a forehand version. It was all, all, always made for a computer. Uh -huh. <laughs> so... I don't think anybody can play that the orchestra. Part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a playable a version of the, gotcha. of the orchestra. Part. You know, I I started I started writing when I wrote with a uh, paper and pencil. You know, but mm -hmm. then computers came, and I started getting into the flow of working with computers. Sure, sure. All right. Well, we're going to listen now to the spirit, which is the third movement from Sergio's Piano Concerto Number no. Two.
All right. And lastly today, let's talk about the Song of the Sea from Moses and Oratorio. So this particular movement features a soprano soloist, though the full work includes a uh, full chorus. Uh, you, disc- you write that the Song of the Sea refers to the song that Moses' sister Miriam sings after the Egyptian army has been drowned in the sea. I'd love right. to hear more about what it was like for you to ro- work on this oratorio. Well, um, since my, I, I'm Jewish, uh, and when my mother passed away, I, the tradition is to go and say, Kaddish, pray for your parents for 11 months. Go every day and do a prayer for your, for your mother. And I, my father asked me to do that, and I, and I promised I would. And I didn't do it every day, but I did five days a week. And I really got into the flow of going through the whole, in the, in the Jewish calendar, you go through the whole Torah, the whole five books every year. Mm-hmm. So I, I got into it and I got into the, leg, the, the rabbi in my temple teaches every, every Saturday morning. And I got into the flow of it. And, and um, I wanted to write something biblical and I thought about the book of Job first but then I was looking for oratorios and big pieces about biblical themes and and there is uh, Moses there is the one about the Haydn the sorry the Handel one about um, uh, you know the 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 story of of uh, Israel in Egypt mm-hmm. but I couldn't find one that said just Moses beginning to end, you know, this is the life of Moses. And then I found out later that there is a, an opera by Schoenberg called Moses and Aaron, but that, uh, Schoenberg doesn't count because we are in two different universes. <laughs> <laughs> he, lives, he lives in another galaxy. I live in this galaxy. So, <laughs> so I didn't come across it, but um so I decided to do it. I, and, and I was very into it, really into the story. And there are things that I had learned during, after, after the 11 months passed, I kept going to temple every Saturday and I kept learning more. And, and there are things that I learned that I had never learned. And I knew pretty much a lot of Bible. And I said, okay, I have to put it together and, and I have to do this. And, uh, and that's how it came about. What do you think is something that you learned that you didn't know before? Uh, for example, uh, in the, the chapter where, uh, in the golden calf chapter, chapter when uh, Moses is with, with God, Moses asks God to introduce himself. He wants to see him. So he doesn't get to see him. He gets to get it. He, God comes to him when he's standing. So he comes through his back. But he tells him, uh, he describes himself to Moses with 13 attributes. And it's the only time that God describes himself in the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, there is no such thing. And I said, wow, how, how were these 13 attributes here? And I didn't know it. You know, I have to put it there. Yeah. So that went into the piece. And, and I thought, Things like that that I learned through through uh, through through a few years, I, I put them all. And the soloist is a cantor, and he told me, you know, uh, after I I sang the piece and I saw the piece, I, that's the way I would have done it. I mean, you got you covered 
all the important points. For another thing, for example, the last book of the of the um, of the Bible, Deuteronomy, is five speeches that Moses gave. Mm-hmm. It's five speeches of Moses. After the story is over, he gives speeches, and um, and there is one thing that there is one chapter that is telling the people of Israel, you know, uh, there is blessings and there is curses, and um, and and he gives them all the curses they can incur and all the blessings they can have, and at the end he tells them, I give you the good. I give you the what the 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 bad. I giving you I've given you um, uh, death. I've given you life. Choose life. Mm-hmm. And that's the ending of the oratorium. Uh-huh. It it is a, a sing along actually. We're about choose life. The whole thing is just choose life. I said I'm gonna am I gonna end the oratorium with Moses dying? Very sad song, and he's dying. And I said. No, and also rock concerts, everybody sings, right? Try. Okay, let's have an oratorio where everybody sings at the end. And just two words. So let's have, have and, and some people sang. <laughs> 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 Actually, I saw some people in the audience sing. Good. But, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, we are now going to listen to I... the Song of the Sea from Moses and Oratorio.
All right. Well, Sergio, what are you working on now? Uh, I'm working on a, on a big piece uh, called The Nightmare and the Dream, which is the, the story of the creation of uh, the state of Israel. Mm. It uh, starts Middle Ages, uh, Jewish persecution, then goes through Theodor Herzl and Zionism and what it wasn't and what he did, and ends with the story of the people that actually went to Israel and created the state of Israel. And I'm in the very last movement in the, in the, in the story of the pioneers of Israel. And it's a controversial subject, and, and in liberal circles, uh, Zionism is seen as, uh, you know, and, uh, but, you know, I'm very proud that uh, we have Israel. I'm very proud of being Jewish and of my heritage and, and, um, and I wanted to do this too. After that, I, I, I probably going to go to all the different pastures, but I wanted to do my Moses and I wanted to do my Israel and then I can move on to the next big. Sure. Thing. Sure. Well, if, if my listeners want to learn more about you, uh, where can they find you online? Where can they learn about your music? Uh, SergioBerrer.com. 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 That's the, that's the, my website. And, uh, let's talk about music is on, on, uh, Apple music and also on Spotify. And, uh, I have a page, a Facebook page, Sergio Barrer composer in my, you know, I have my own personal page, Sergio Barrer, but, uh, Sergio Barrer composer. I, I promise to post more. (laughs) 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 I, I don't know. I, I, when you get into, when I get into composing, you know, it's just the concentration that is needed is so much for me that I don't do too much more. Mm-hmm. So then I said, "Oh God, I haven't posted anything in months. No, not months. <laughs> not months. I don't go that bad. But you know, or this week, or or today, or something. But yeah, I, you know, I I get very immersed in the composition. Yeah, I definitely understand." Well, hey, listeners out there, if you are looking for a way to show others how much you like listening to Movable Dough, consider buying one of my designs in the merch store hosted by our friends at TeePublic. You can either get the old or the new Movable Dough logo on a t-shirt, hoodie, stickers, face mask, pillows, and much, much more. Visit sdcompose.com slash movable dough and click the merch link to show your support for Movable Dough. Well, Sergio, it has been great to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure to be here. My guest today was composer Sergio Barrer. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. <laughs>